The Hobbit, Chapter 6, Out of the Frying Pan, Into the Fire, Part 1. Bilbo had escaped the goblins, but he did not know where he was. He had lost hood, cloak, food, pony, his buttons, and his friends. He wandered on and on, till the sun began to sink westwards behind the mountains. Their shadows fell across Bilbo's path, and he looked back. Then he looked forward and could see before him only ridges and slopes falling towards lowlands and plains, glimpsed occasionally between the trees. Good heavens, he exclaimed. I seem to have got right to the other side of the misty mountains, right to the edge of the land beyond. Where and oh where can Gandalf and the dwarves have got to? I only hope to goodness they are not still back there in the power of the goblins. He still wandered on, out of the little high valley, over its edge, and down the slopes beyond, but all the while a very uncomfortable thought was growing inside him. He wondered whether he ought not, now he had the magic ring, to go back into the horrible, horrible tunnels and look for his friends. He had just made up his mind that it was his duty that he must turn back, and very miserable he felt about it when he heard voices. He stopped and listened. It did not sound like goblins, so he crept forward carefully. He was on a stony path winding downwards with a rocky wall on the left hand. On the other side, the ground sloped away and there were dells below the level of the path overhung with bushes and low trees. In one of these dells, under the bushes, people were talking. He crept still nearer, and suddenly he saw appearing between two big boulders a head with a red hood on. It was Balin doing lookout. He could have clapped and shouted for joy, but he did not. He had still got the ring on for fear of meeting something unexpected and unpleasant, and he saw that Balin was looking straight at him without noticing him. I will give them all a surprise, he thought, as he crawled into the bushes at the end of the dell. Gandalf was arguing with the dwarves. They were discussing all that had happened to them in the tunnels and wondering and debating what they were to do now. The dwarves were grumbling and Gandalf was saying that they could not possibly go on with their journey leaving Mr. Baggins in the hands of the goblins without trying to find out if he was alive or dead and without trying to rescue him. After all, he is my friend, said the wizard, and not a bad little chap. I feel responsible for him. I wish to goodness you had not lost him. The dwarves wanted to know why he had ever been brought at all, why he could not stick to his friends and come along with them, and why the wizard had not chosen someone with more sense. He has been more trouble than use so far, said one. If we have got to go back now into those abominable tunnels to look for him, then drat him, I say. Gandalf asked, answered angrily, I brought him, and I don't bring things that have no use. Either you help me to look for him, or I go and leave you here to get out of, mess, out of the mess as best you can yourselves. If we can only find him again, you will thank me for it before all is over. Whatever did you want to go and drop him for, Dory? You wouldn't have dropped him, said Dory, if a goblin had suddenly grabbed your legs from behind in the dark, tripped up your feet, and kicked you in the back. Then why didn't you pick him up again? 
Good heavens, can you ask? Goblins fighting and biting in the dark, everybody falling over bodies and hitting one another. You nearly chopped off my head with Glamdrain, and Thorin was stabbing here, there, and everywhere with Orchrist. All of a sudden you gave one of your blinding flashes, and we saw the goblins running back yelping. You shouted, follow me, everybody, and everybody ought to have followed. We thought everybody had. There was no time to count, as you know quite well, till we had dashed through the gate guards out of the lower door and helter-skelter down here. And here we are, without the burglar, confusticate him. And here's the burglar, said Bilbo, stepping down into the middle of them and slipping off his ring. Bless me how they jumped. Then they shouted with surprise and delight. Gandalf was astonished as any of them, but probably more pleased than all the others. He called the Balin and told him what he thought of a lookout man who let people walk right into them like that without warning. It is a fact that Bilbo's reputation went up a very great deal with the dwarves after this. If they had still doubted that he was really a first-class burglar, in spite of Gandalf's words, they doubted no longer. Balin was the most puzzled of all, but everyone said it was a very clever bit of work. Indeed, Bilbo was so pleased with their praise that he just chuckled inside and said nothing whatever about the ring. And when, and when they had asked him how he did it, he said, Oh, just crept along, you know, very carefully and quietly. Well, it is the first time that even a mouse has crept along carefully and quietly under my very nose and not been spotted, said Balin, and I take off my hood to you, which he did. Balin at your service, said he. Your servant, Mr. Baggins, said Bilbo. Then they wanted to know all about his adventures after they had lost him, and he sat down and told them everything, except about the finding of the ring. Not just now, he thought. They were particularly interested in the riddle competition, and shuddered most appreciatively at his description of Gollum. And then I couldn't think of any other question with him sitting beside me, ended Bilbo. So I said, what's in my pocket? And he couldn't guess in three goes. So I said, what about your promise? Show me the way out. But he came at me to kill me, and I ran and fell over, and he missed me in the dark. Then I followed him, because I heard him talking to himself. He thought I really knew the way out, and so he was making for it. And then he sat down in the entrance, and I could not get by. So I jumped over him and escaped, and ran down to the gate. What about the guards, they asked. Weren't there any? Oh, yes, lots of them, but I dodged them. I got stuck in the door, which was only open a crack, and I lost lots of buttons, he said sadly, looking at his torn clothes. But I squeezed through all right, and here I am. The dwarves looked at him with quite a new respect when he talked about dodging guards, jumping over Gollum, and squeezing through, as if it was not very difficult or very alarming. What did I tell you, said Gandalf, laughing. Mr. Baggins has more about him than you guess. He gave Bilbo a queer look from under his bushy eyebrows as he said this, and the hobbit wondered if he guessed at the part of his tale that he had left out. Then he had questions of his own to ask, for if Gandalf had explained it all by now to the dwarves, Bilbo had not heard it. He wanted to know how the wizard had turned up again, and where they had all got to now. The wizard, to tell the truth, 
never minded explaining his cleverness more than once. So now he told Bilbo that both he and Elrond had been well aware of the presence of evil goblins in that part of the mountains. But their main gate used to come out on a different pass, one more easy to travel by, so that they often caught people benighted near their gates. Evidently, people had given up going that way, and the goblins must have opened their new entrance at the top of the pass the dwarves had taken, quite recently, because it had been found quite safe up till now. I must see if I can't find a more or less decent giant to block it up again, said Gandalf, or soon there will be no getting over the mountains at all. As soon as Gandalf had heard Bilbo's yell, he realized what had happened. In the flash which killed the goblins that were grabbing him, he had nipped inside the crack just as it snapped too. He followed after the drivers and prisoners right to the edge of the great hall, and there he sat down and worked up the best magic he could in the shadows. A very ticklish business it was, he said. Touch and go. But of course, Gandalf had made a special study of bewitchments with fire and lights. Even the Hobbit had never forgotten the magic fireworks at Old Took's Midsummer Eve parties, as you remember. The rest we all know, except that Gandalf knew all about the back door, as the goblins called the lower gate, where Bilbo lost his buttons. As a matter of fact, it was well known to anybody who was acquainted with this part of the mountains, but it took a wizard to keep his head in the tunnels and guide them in the right direction. They made that gate ages ago, he said, partly for a way of escape if they needed one, partly as a way out into the lands beyond, where they st still come in the dark and do great damage. They guard it always, and no one has ever managed to block it up. They will guard it doubly after this, he laughed. All the others laughed, too. After all, they had lost a good deal, but they had killed the great goblin and a great many others besides, and they had all escaped so they might be said to have had the best of it so far. But the wizard called them to their senses. We must be getting on at once. Now we are a little rested, he said. They will be out after us in hundreds when the night comes on, and already shadows are lengthening. They can smell our footsteps for hours and hours after we have passed. We must be miles on before dusk. There will be a bit of a moon if it keeps fine, and that is lucky. Not that they mind the moon much, but it will give us a little light to steer by. Oh, yes, he said, in answer to more questions from the hobbit. You lose track of time inside goblin tunnels. Today is Thursday, and it was Monday night or Tuesday morning that we were captured. We have gone miles and miles and come right down through the heart of the mountains and are now on the other side, quite a shortcut. But we are not at the point to which our paths would have brought us, we are too far to the north, and have some awkward country ahead, and we, we are still pretty high up. Let's get on. I am so dreadfully hungry, groaned Bilbo, who was suddenly aware that he had not had a meal since the night before the night before last. Just think of that for a hobbit. His stomach felt all empty and loose, and his legs all wobbly, now that the excitement was over. Can't help it, said Gandalf unless you like to go back and ask the goblins nicely to let you have your pony back and your luggage. No, thank you, said Bilbo. Very well, then. We must just tighten our belts and trudge on, or we shall be made into supper, and that will be much worse than having none ourselves.
As they went on, Bilbo looked from side to side for something to eat. But the blackberries were still only in flower. And of course, there were no nuts, not even hawthorn berries. He nibbled a, a bit of sorrel, and he drank from a small mountain stream that crossed the path. And he ate three wild strawberries that he found on its bank. But it was not much good. They still went on and on. The rough path disappeared. The bushes and long grasses between the boulders, the patches of rabbit crop turf, the thyme and the sage and the marjoram, and the yellow rock roses all vanished. And they found themselves at the top of a wide steep slope of fallen stones, the remains of a landslide. When they began to go down this, rubbish and small pebbles rolled away from their feet. Soon larger bits of split stone went clattering down and started other pieces below them, slithering and rolling. Then lumps of rock were disturbed and bounded off, crashing down with a dust and a noise. Before long, the whole slope above them and below them seemed on the move, and they were sliding away, huddled all together, in a fearful confusion of slipping, slipping rattling, cracking slabs and stones. It was the trees at the bottom that saved them. They slid into the edge of a climbing wood of pines, that here stood right up the mountain slope from the deeper, darker forests of the valley below. Some caught hold of the trunks and swung themselves into lower branches. Some, like the little hobbit, got behind a tree to shelter from the onslaught of the rocks. Soon the danger was over, the slide had stopped, and the last faint crashes could be heard as the largest of the disturbed stones went bounding and spinning among the bracken in the pine roots far below. Well, that has got us on a bit, said Gandalf, and even goblins tracking us will have a job to come down here quietly. I dare say, grumbled Bomber, but they won't find it difficult to send stones bouncing down on our heads. The dwarves and Bilbo were feeling far from happy and were rubbing their bruised and damaged legs and feet. Nonsense. We are going to turn aside here out of the path of the slide. We must be quick. Look at the light. The sun had long gone behind the mountains. Already the shadows were deepening about them. Though far away, through the trees and over the black tops of those growing lower down, they could still see the evening lights on the plains beyond. They limped along now as fast as they were able, down the gentle slopes of a pine forest in a slanting path leading steadily southwards. At times they were pushing through a sea of bracken with tall fronds rising right above the hobbit's head. At times they were marching along quiet as, as quiet over a floor of pine needles. And all the while the forest gloom got heavier and the forest silence deeper. There was no wind that evening to bring even a sea sighting into the branches of the trees. Must we go any further, asked Bilbo, when it was so dark that he could only just see Thorin's build wagging, wagging beside him, and so quiet that he could hear the dwarves breathing like a loud noise. My toes are all bruised and bent, and my legs ache, and my stomach is wagging like an empty sack. A bit further, said Gandalf. After what seemed ages further, they came suddenly to an opening where no trees grew. The moon was up, and was shining into the clearing. Somehow it struck all of them as not at all a nice place, although there was nothing wrong to see. All of a sudden 
they heard a howl away downhill, a long shuddering howl. It was answered by another away to the right, and a good deal nearer to them, then by another not far away to the left. It was wolves howling at the moon, wolves gathering together. There were no wolves living near Mr. Baggins' hole at home, but he knew that, that noise. He had had it described to him often enough in tales. One of his elder cousins on the Took side, who had been a great traveler, used to imitate it to frighten him. To hear it out in the forest under the moon was too much for Bilbo. Even magic rings are not much use against wolves, especially against the evil packs that lived under the shadow of the goblin-infested mountains over the edge of the wild on the borders of the unknown. Wolves of that sort smell keener than goblins and do not need to see you to catch you. What shall we do? What shall we do? He cried. Escaping goblins to be caught by wolves, he said, and it became a proverb. Though now we say, out of the frying pan, into the fire, in the same sort of uncomfortable situations. Up the trees, quick, cried Gandalf, and they ran to the trees at the edge of the glade, hunting for those that had branches fairly low or were slender enough to swarm up. They found them as quick as ever they could, you can guess, and up they went as high as ever they could trust the branches. You would have laughed, from a safe distance, if you had seen the dwarfs sitting up in the trees with their beards dangling down like old gentlemen gone cracked and playing at being boys. Feely and Keely were at the top of a tall larch like an enormous Christmas tree. Dory, Nori, Oin, Gloin, and Gloin were more comfortable in a huge pine with regular branches sticking out at intervals like the spokes of the wheel. Biffer, Boffer, Bomber, and Thorin were in another. Dwalin and Balin had swarmed up a tall slender fir with few branches and were trying to find a place to sit in the greenery of the topmost boughs. Gandalf, who was a good deal taller than the others, had found a tree into which they could not climb, a large pine standing at the very edge of the glade. He was quite hidden in its boughs, but you could see his eyes gleaming in the moon as he peeped out. And Bilbo! He could not get into any tree and was scuttling about from trunk to trunk, like a rabbit that has lost its hole and has a dog after it. You've left the burglar behind again, said Nori to Dory, looking down. I can't be always carrying burglars on my back, said Dory, down tunnels and up trees. What do you think I am, a porter? He'll be eaten if we don't do something, said Thorin, for there were howls all around them now, getting nearer and nearer. Dory, he called, for Dory was lowest down in the easiest tree. Be quick and give Mr. Baggins a hand up. Dory was really a decent fellow, in spite of his grumbling. Poor Bibble could not reach his hand, even when he climbed down to the bottom branch and hung his arm down as far as ever he could. So Dory actually climbed out of the tree and let Bilbo scramble up and stand on his back. Just at that moment, the wolves trotted howling into the clearing. All of a sudden, there were hundreds of eyes looking at them. Still, Dory did not let Bilbo down. He waited till he had clambered off his shoulders into the branches, and then he jumped for the branches himself, only just in time. 
A wolf snapped at his cloak as he swung up and nearly got him. In a minute, there was a whole pack of them yelping all around the tree and leaping up at the trunk with eyes blazing and tongues hanging out. But even the wild wargs, for so the evil wolves over the edge of the wild were named, cannot climb trees. For a time, they were safe. Luckily, it was warm and not windy. Trees are not very comfortable to sit in for long at any time. But in the cold and the wind, with wolves all around below waiting for you, they can be perfectly miserable places. This glade in the ring of trees was evidently a meeting place of the wolves. More and more kept coming in. They left guards at the foot of the tree in which Dory and Bilbo were, and then they went snuffling about till they had smelt out every tree that had anyone in it. These they guarded too, while all the rest, hundreds and hundreds it seemed, went and sat in a great circle in the glade, and in the middle of the circle was a great gray wolf. He spoke to them in the dreadful language of the wargs. Gandalf understood it. Bilbo did not, but it sounded terrible to him, as if all their talk was about cruel and wicked things, as it was. Every now and then all the wargs in the circle would answer their great chief altogether, and their dreadful clamor almost made the hobbit fall out of his pine tree. I will tell you what Gandalf heard, though Bilbo did not understand it. The wargs and the goblins often helped one another in wicked deeds. Goblins do not usually venture very far from their mountains unless they are driven out and are looking for new homes or are marching to war, which I am glad to say has not happened for a long while. But in those days, they sometimes used to go out on raids, especially to get food or slaves to work for them. Then they often got the wargs to help and shared the plunder with them. Sometimes they rode on wolves like men do on horses. Now it seemed that the great goblin raid had been planned for that very night. The wargs had come to meet the goblins, and the goblins were late. The reason, no doubt, was the death of the great goblin, and all the excitement caused by the dwarves and Bilbo and the wizard, for whom they were probably still hunting. In spite of the dangers of this far land, bold men had of late been making their way back into it from the south, cutting down trees and building themselves places to live in among the more pleasant woods in the valleys and along the river shores. There were many of them, and they were brave and well-armed, and even the wargs dared not attack them if there were many together or in the bright day. But now they had planned with the goblins' help to come by night upon some of the villages nearest the mountains. If their plans had been carried out, there would have been none left there the next day. All would have been killed, except the few the goblins kept from the wolves and carried back as prisoners to their caves. This was dreadful talk to listen to, not only because of the brave woodmen and their wives and children, but also because of the danger which now threatened Gandalf and his friends. The wargs were angry and puzzled at finding them here in their very meeting place. They thought they were friends of the woodmen and were come to spy on them and would take news of their plans down into the valleys, and then the goblins of the wolves would have to fight a terrible battle instead of capturing prisoners and devouring people wake suddenly from their sleep. So the wargs had no intention of going away and letting the people up the trees escape, at any rate, not until morning. And long before that, they said, goblin soldiers would be coming down from the mountains, and goblins can climb trees or cut them down. 
End of part one, chapter six.